As a coach, it's so easy to be a mental game coach. Just do this, this, and this. And then you go play and you go, holy smokes. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Cermak, with me. What? What's up, Ev? What a ride we just took with Tom Markawa's longtime swing and mental coach, Rick Sessinghouse. Second time he's hopped aboard. But before we get to that, guys, in case you're new, welcome aboard. And if this is your 187th ride or 88th ride, a lot I think of this is episode 188, uh, also welcome aboard. If your golf game's off the rails or you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We've talked about it before, but yeah. it's true. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game. With PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, and mental coaches like Rick today, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode, like every episode, is presented by Roback Performance Apparel, Activewear, whatever you want to call it. Sir, this the is best. really funny. I didn't think that I was going to talk about this live on the air because I haven't told anyone. Oh. And you're one of my groomsmen. But... That I'm going to do this live. You have no warning about this. We're going to do this live. Okay. Okay. I have been thinking about groomsmen presents. Well, of course. And expecting something I great. felt like the only groomsman gift I've really ever have used after the wedding was Ryan's. He got us some um, Dobbs kits and I've used that since. Um, but other than that, like, you know, I'm going to be 35 this year. You've probably gotten all the classic, like a flask, a Dobbs kit, like all this stuff. I want to give my groomsmen something that they're going to use and love yeah. for years. And I thought, what if I got everyone a rowback hoodie, maybe even personalized it something yes. on the inside? Yes. What do you think? I think it's great. I mean, I think you could have a lot of fun hoodie polo shoes if you got options and they do all that great personalization yeah so ev so you approve this kind of news is just gonna make my holiday weekend so <laughs> i approve of this um bucket hat maybe stay away from that i don't know if everybody wants the bucket hat but i think Probably you got not. great options <laughs> okay well i guess my point is is that guys if i'm gonna get my groomsmen something you know it's good Right. And I'm not getting this for free. I pay for it. Okay. I'm wearing one right now. Cermak finally got one. Uh, if you haven't gotten a Roback hoodie. Best in the world. It's the best hoodie ever made. So go to Roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off their polos. I'll be wearing a margarita polo at my bachelor party with you, Cerm. Uh, it's going to be fun as the that. polos, the Chris collars, the Q-zips, the hoodies. It's all deadly. But thank you to Roback as always. For sponsoring the show, letting us do what we do. And for all your messages, guys, keep sending them. I love seeing all the rowback out there. Let's Incredible. keep taking this rowback par train uh, to the moon. All it's right, a let's keep growing. It, it's a movement, Ev. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Get some rowback. And if you guys, some people message me, like, I don't know where the code is or what to do. If you don't remember, just go to our bio on Instagram is probably the best place at the par train on Instagram. And click our link in the bio. The link's always there. The code auto applies uh, and it'll auto apply in your cart. So easy peasy. Just find us on Instagram. The code's always in our bio. Okay. We've joked, right? After really good interviews, we look at each other, we pause, we say, wow, this was another one yeah. of those. Uh, really Rick, Rick Sessinghouse is Colin Morikawa's long time, since he was like eight years old, coach, swing and mental coach. He's the co-founder and director of Flow Code Golf Academy, which is brand new. It's this online academy that you can get, you can sign up for, become a member, and get all of Rick's coaching as if he was your mental coach, um, just like Colin, but do it online. Um, so that link is, what did he say? It's flowcode.golf. So definitely check that out. I talked to Rick about it uh, probably over a year ago now when he was building it, and it's really exciting to see it out. And about, and obviously, uh, he spends most of his time coaching Colin Morikawa. That's why he created Flow yeah. to help players while he's coaching Colin. Now, I think this episode was really great. Now, I should say our first interview with Rick is in our top three, and not just our opinion, but listenership. It's been a top three most popular episode. So, a lot a of people one. are going to be excited about this one because. 
what I find, and keep me honest here, Sarum, but what I find is when we bring really popular guests back for a second or third time, like we've done with Brett McCabe and many others, the second or third time is almost as even better because we don't feel the need to cover everything. We can go really deep on certain things. And we talk about what Colin learned at the Ryder Cup, what Colin's mindset is and how it's shifted since now being a two-time major champ. Um, we talked about what JT went through at the PGA. We, Rick is really good at dumbing things down to be really simple yeah. where you could listen to something Rick says and apply it directly to your game right after listening. And that's what this show is all about. So yeah. this episode is incredible. You guys are going to love it. Yeah. Rick's really relatable. I think everybody's going to love listening to this. If you haven't listened to the first episode, um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was a wild episode and he kind of, I just love how he communicates. Right. Uh, so communicates like on our show, but then he, we got into how he and Colin communicate. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, was, a, was totally fascinating and a kind of even a deeper look. Like you said, we go deeper in that second episode into how more Colin practices, right. And how he thinks about preparation and how they unpack stats, really good stuff. Like, um, an absolute thrill. He's a friend of the show, you know, yeah. and, uh, you're going to love this one guys. Yeah. And let's remember like con Mark, I was five, nine, one sixty, you know, like he's not well, a DJ. You know, he, he, he leans into his game, what he does. Well, we talked about comfort again and the, yeah, it's relatable stuff. Like I know we don't all hit our irons like Colin Morikawa, but we certainly can hit better irons by listening to this episode. I'll just say that. Yeah. And guys, you'll, it's all about pulling a couple of takeaways from, from each episode. And yeah. <laughs> I think you might have more than a couple here. So it was sure. great to see Rick. Great to talk to Rick and this train's uh this train's moving out. Yeah. Well, as always, guys, if you pull a nugget or two things from this episode, do us a solid. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, it means a lot. It helps inspire other people from your success stories to hop aboard. And we want to help as many people as we can. The more people we can get on the train, the better. Um, so give us a follow at the part train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're about to hit 10,000 on TikTok. We just How about that? 56,000 on Instagram. So we appreciate all you guys hopping aboard. We love your messages. Keep reaching out. I'm going to try and do my best to respond to each one. And no matter how frustrated you might feel, no matter how high your expectations are, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. It's been 10 months. Like I said, top three most popular episode we've ever had. We're pumped to have you back, Rick. Welcome aboard. Awesome. Hey, Rick. Thank, thanks so much. How's it going? Great. We have a lot to catch up on. Yes. There's been major wins since we last talked. There's been actually last time we talked, Rick, I don't know if you remember, it was a week before the open win. So we were talking about the craziness of Colin's schedule. Yeah. And it was uh, so cool to have that context while watching Colin take home the claret jug, which in my some, opinion is the greatest good trophy vibes. in sports. Yeah. But I was gonna say, can we can we run this a week before the US Open so we can yeah. get that going? You know what? Maybe we just need to bring you back, just have a Rick Sessing House blitz. Exactly. Just a two-minute one, just yeah. to give us some good vibes there. For each major. <laughs> I love it. Well, Rick, I think I wanted to start today by asking you about a player you don't get asked about often. And that's you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about what we're going to get into Colin. We're going to get into everything yeah. that you guys are working on and we'll probably drill into very specific things for the average player. But I want to talk about what you work on as a golfer. Curious to hear how much you get to play. <laughs> What's different about your game today before than when you played competitively and in college, I know you've come a long way. We'll get into that, but um, what things do you work on? What are you working through as a player? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I play D1, I played a little bit professionally, and now I'm 51 years old and things have changed. I don't hit the ball as far as I used to. Um, I honestly don't practice, but I do love playing. And so I'm very fortunate when I get to play, I play really good golf courses with uh, my friends and good players. And I think that's where my, I call it my relationship with golf has changed is it's not all about obsessive about a score and this and that it's really about the enjoyment of the opportunity to go play. 
So my, I guess you say, what am I working on is on, honestly constantly about the mental game. It's constantly about what attitude can I bring to the first tee? And, and I like challenging myself throughout a round of golf. It's not about, did I shoot 72, 75, 78? It's, I get excited about certain shots in the round. Um, I joke with people. I, I put it on Instagram. I was with, with Colin about a month ago in Las Vegas and, and we're at his home course and I'm playing against him. Am I really? Well, in my head, I was, it was my major yeah. for the year. Um, but, but that to me excites me and gets me going. So I don't, um, I, I go play and I hit it around and play in the low to mid seventies and hit enough shots to feel like I can still hit it around. But I, I, I enjoy, because I teach the mental game so much, remembering the challenges. As a coach, it's so easy to be a mental game coach. Just do this, this, and this. And then you go play and you go, holy smokes, things that are running through my head right now. I can't believe, right? So yeah. it helps me as a coach. The more that I play, I believe it helps me as a coach. And like I said, I'm very fortunate when I do get to play some really nice courses with some, some great people you kind of create themes for yourself, right? Or like, yeah. how, how do you make this, this day more enjoyable or more interesting for, for yourself? It's great. Correct. And, and some of it is just basic, uh, like trash talking, right? So yeah. with, with friends of mine or something like that, that we may have similar games, but man, do we want to trash talk? Do we want to rib? Do we want to like, to me, that's a successful round of golf is how much trash talking happens. <laughs> What is your favorite course that you've played, Rick? Played Riviera uh, about a month ago, and you go back and you go, how you know how classic of a design and the mm -hmm. history that goes with that. Um, Number ten is just incredible. I got to it, birdie at once. That was like the day, one of the best <laughs> days of my life. Awesome. Yeah, so, we, and especially now that you know, been on tour and and in Riviera. Uh, I've now walked it in tournament settings and stuff like that. So now you're putting yourself in that uh, that situation. Um, so that one, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of great golf courses, obviously uh, I've got to play Pebble beach and spyglass Hill is one of my favorites. I mean, that place is just uh, a lot tougher than I think people give it credit for. Um, but yeah, I enjoy, um, I, like you said, I enjoy having a theme for the day and it rarely, rarely is about the score I'm going to shoot. Just so you know, Rick, I think it's important context for people to know that you know, they might see you, they might see you on Instagram or go to flow, the flowcode.com. I think people might think, well, you played in college, you played professionally, you work with Colin, you must have been born this way, right? You always had a great mindset, but you weren't, you were what you said, your words were a hothead, miserable college golfer. And you were told once, I love this story. You were told once, I never want to play golf with you again by someone you played with. And that was a big turning point for you. I, I want to start with that story a little bit because sure. I think that helps bring our audience in to realize that if you went from that to this, they can certainly improve too. Yeah, no. And, and I, I love talking about this because it was a, a shift, not only in my own game, but in my, my career. And I can look back at that. You can make changes, right? We want to get changes in our golf swing all the time. And I'm going to do this drill and that, and because we believe we can make a physical change, but I believe the mental game change can happen uh, just as dramatically with that. So to give context, I was not much of a junior golfer. I played other sports. Uh, I got obsessed with golf when I was about 16, 17, quit playing football did walk on at Cal State Northridge at a D1 program. I was a mediocre D1 player, um, but I had enough what we'll call talent to go, oh, I could do something with it. I worked my butt off. I did to get to that level. Yet I thought my belief system was, well, I get mad in basketball. I get mad in football. You just, how do you deal with it? But in football, you can run it off. You can hit somebody on the next play. I did not know how to process poor shots and, and stuff on a golf course. So unfortunately, bad shot, man, I slam a club down. You suck, Rick. Da, da, and then it would escalate, escalate, escalate. And so I had a mentor of mine who um, was a, a teaching professional in Los Angeles. Uh, she was very influential in my career, even with the mental side. And one day we're playing and we walk off and she goes, I, I love you, Rick, as a person, but I can't play golf with you again. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm a good player. It's like, it had nothing to do with how you played. Even though I made a shot 75 that day, I was miserable. I made everyone else around me going, I, who is this guy? And that was my wake up call. And then I said like, wow, 
I'm sorry that I now affected your enjoyment of the game and, and so on and so forth. So that was big for me. Um, and I'm very open that like when I was 16, 17, I went to counseling about this, about anger and, and stuff. And, and that became where I speak to uh, players about, I know they're very good players and they have high expectations, but that doesn't mean we can be a jerk on the golf course. It doesn't mean that we can behave this way. And of course it didn't make me a better player. It made me worse, right? We talk about the par train. I got on a lot of bogey and double bogey trains because of my emotions and how that affected me. So it, yeah. it is something that I have worked on. Um, I rarely get mad on the golf course. Now my, my, I allow myself to get disappointed on the golf course, but never angry on the golf course. Rick, I, I love how you drew it back to other sports. I play with so many guys, so many people that are great athletes that are intense, are competitive, because that's just how we are, right? In every other sport we've done, that carryover to the course is a, is a death blow. And, but I think it's hard to, to have recognition on it until somebody says it. Because oh, yeah. it's like, that's just how I'm supposed to be it. This is how I get good at other things. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think part of it is as you get better and better, you have higher expectations. And then, you know, if you don't meet your expectations, that's kind of a definition of frustration, but how do I process that? And, and that's the thing where I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in post-shot routines and I'm, you know, those type of things. But, uh, but I think people lose sight back. We talked about themes. What, why, why am I playing today? And if it's right. just to shoot a certain score, it, it could disintegrate quite quickly. But if it's to challenge myself, it's if it's to enjoy, if it's to be competitive, it's a that can go throughout whole 18 holes without having to hit perfect shots the whole time. And um, but you, you bring up a very good point where we think we have to be a certain way. We have to be Kobe Bryant out there. We have to be it's like, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I get the Mamba mentality and I get all this stuff. But um, I also believe we can. You, we can laugh off a shot. I believe we can enjoy, you know, other things around it, but that does take awareness for sure. Sure. Well, speaking of expectations, Rick, it's been pretty incredible what Colin Morikawa has able to do these last two years, specifically winning back-to-back -back majors in, in two different years, right? So he wins the PGA, he wins the British Open. Not many people have done this in really the history of the game. And if you think about the modern era, but I've been thinking about it lately, Rory had his run of four majors in four years. Jordan Spieth had three majors, I think in three years, he had two majors in one year. And Kepka had his four major run. Um, it's kind of unprecedented territories in. Um, this is this zone, a freakish zone these guys find themselves in. So for Colin, what do you guys talk about when it comes to this? Or maybe you don't talk about it, but we've seen other players maybe have their greatest golf in their life. And who knows about Rory or Spieth? I'd like to think the win majors again, but it's hard. You know, how do you recapturing this moment in, in, of glory? But Colin's all the, the talk when it comes to this and want to hear you talk about it. Yeah, no, I, I think it is hard. And I think we, we have to keep things in, in context of whether you look at the history, like you just mentioned, is that Rory McIlroy, who would have thought that his last major was X amount of years ago, what, 2014 or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you would never have thought that. You would never have beat. Yet there's a, a, a lot of good players and there's more good players every year and the competition keeps rising and you have to have everything come together for that week. There's a lot of these intangibles also, right? No so I think, I think when we look at with Colin, I think we, and I say we a lot because, because he uses that and we have a, a, his, his wonderful caddy, JJ, we have a team that, that we have to look at that what he's uh, accomplished, he should be very proud of. And it's an unbelievable uh, way. Yet, does that mean that we have to win a major every year to now to validate that? It's like that. We have to be careful of that, right? Because right. Um, and then I think what he's done quite a good job with, um, is yes, he won, but he's the type more than I am, by the way, he's the type of say, what's next. We got to get better. We got to do these things here. I'm the one who wants to celebrate. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> right? and, and, and he's like, okay, that was great, but we got more work to do. We, we want to get number one. We want to get to this. We have more, you know, and I appreciate that in him a lot, um, yeah. is that he does celebrate to a point. But he says, there's some more work to do. And yeah. he loves the game so much. That's the thing. It's not all about winning does make the game. You enjoy it more. I get it. 
but he just loves the pursuit of it. And that's yeah. something I know we talked about last time is there's this always this, this growth mindset and this learning and this curiosity and this, and then this moving forward. And that's what I really appreciate with him. And I think a lot of the top players, Rory included, or Jordan Spieth included, I think they have that same mindset. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it can be challenging if it's like, well, I've accomplished this. I'm obviously good enough. So why try to get better? And that's a, that's a trap for sure. And I've seen that with junior golfers a little, little bit with college. It's like, Oh, I'm beating everybody. It's like, you're 15 years old. Yeah. You're beating 12 people in LA. Okay. Let's go see what this happens. And they get in that mindset that, Oh, what is good is good enough. Now that's a, that's a tricky spot to be in. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Rick, because there's two potential paths, right? On one hand, there's the floodgates opening, right? Media always talks about it. You get yep. one, you start to believe the belief Correct. is validated. Now it's let's go get it. You're freed up. You go win more, right? It's a lot of yes. times takes longer to win the first than the second. Although Justin Thomas just talked a lot about his internal struggle to win the second versus external struggle to get the first, which is interesting. But the other token, which we've seen in so many players, which is why I'm really glad Sir brought this question up is we don't realize how rare it is to win your next one the next year, because it's also easy to your point about expectations to now think, well, I'm a major winner. You start to look at yourself differently. You start to do things differently when ironically, the thing that got you the major win was something else. So I guess that's really interesting to think about. It might not be a major for our listener, but it could be backing up their best score with another solid score, right? And so how do you guys maintain high expectations to drive you forward while not getting in the way of what Colin does naturally really well? Right. And so we don't use the word expectations very often because it tends to have a negative connotation. Yep. Uh, it's like what other people expect or expect. Um, we, we talk about goals. We talk about, um, I talk about developing uh, the, the word development to me is more long-term mastery type mindset. Mm. Um, so even like the, the start of this year, um, I asked, Hey, Colin, what are some of the areas that uh, we need to improve upon? And it could be everything. I'll just give you one example of uh, long irons, ball below the feet, uh, a shot that he had in Kapalua. Okay. Now that's a very specific shot yet. It hasn't met to his standards yet. So we have a performance gap. I want to get better at ball below my feet with a long iron. That's pretty specific. So yeah. he has a list of those things that he wants to get better at. Okay. That yes. Will that help him shoot a lower score? Yeah. But that may only happen one out of every four rounds that he's going to have that shot. So he's looking at mastering the game and looking at all these different tools in his toolbox and all these different, that's what I appreciate about him. And I, as a coach, I, of course, want to foster that in all my students is that there's always these little things we can get better at, or, or he's been uh, working a lot. And then the last couple of years with his chipping and pitching, not the method per se, like he has a bad method, but how do I go off of type Bermuda compared to Kakuya? And all that. to me, that is a cool learning mindset that he does have. He's been a young, uh, a young kid. And I think that's how he's always looking at it. So whether he won the open championship, great but I can still get better at this, this, and this, I think keeps him moving in the right direction. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors, a sponsor that all of you would benefit from getting. And then we'll get you right back to the show. Just for fun, I polled our audience on Instagram. If you're not following us there, definitely do at the Partrain so you can participate in these things in the future. But just for fun, I asked everybody, what is the average amount of rounds that you play a glove until you decide to swap it out? And the response is, were so eye-opening, okay? I would say probably 75 plus percent of people either mentioned a hole, joked about never replacing their glove, or when it literally disintegrates off their hand. Like, the fact of the matter is, no one's replacing their gloves. And I've been, uh, I've been guilty of this too, okay? A lot of times, you almost see your glove as like just something you snake by on once a hole comes through, you're like, Oh, I guess I need to replace it. Right. But if you think about it, this is the thing that is connected to our club. It's our feel. So I got a little solution for you. I'm not going to try and sit here and convince you, Hey, you need to like purchase, you know, a new glove every few rounds. Like I've got some tips for you on things that 
will help you prolong the life of your glove, but also uh, red rooster golf does something really cool that I think could help too. So first, what Carrie, the founder told me is what most people do is they go to redroostergolf.com slash train. If you're listening to this show, you check out the gloves. I personally like the Scott silver. It's like a very subtle light gray with an amazing little red, red rooster logo on the front, super clean, but a little bit different, which I like. And they get the glove. They're like, oh, wow, this glove is so soft. It's durable. It's like the perfect combination of soft and durable, high quality Capretta leather, hand stitched in Indonesia. Like people love it, right? Then what they do is they start to experiment with the subscription. The subscription is awesome because it's going to auto. You can set the time. You can always cancel or pause it. If you feel like your subscription's coming up, they email you. They say, hey, it's coming up. You still want it. You can pause it or cancel it. So you're not going to be getting loads of gloves that you don't need. But what I love is it forces me and reminds me to say, oh, yeah, it's been this much time. If I play once a week, it's probably time to get a new glove. Or what's even cooler, which I didn't really even know about until I started working with Red Rooster Golf and started uh, reading all the comments, it's actually a really common practice to alternate gloves throughout the round, especially if it's warm or it's wet. I know it sounds silly, but if you start getting sweaty, replacing the glove and having like two or three in rotation throughout the round can actually significantly prolong the life of the glove. Now, there's a lot of uh, factors that come into a glove's life, right? Whether it's the weather, whether you play hot, humid or cool, wet, uh, your grip pressure, the type of grips you have, the types of care you have for the glove. Apparently it's best if you keep your gloves flat and dry, they last much longer. So Red Rooster actually has a glove compartment that can hang off your golf bag to prolong the life of your glove too. So there's a lot of things you can do to prolong the life of your glove. But I think the main takeaway is give yourself permission to play a newer better glove. It's only going to help your game. There's no way that a crusty, holy glove is going to help you hit your best shots. You know, there's nothing like that confident feeling of a fresh new glove. So go to redroostergolf.com slash train. Once you get there, you can see all your options, enter the code train, get 20% off everything and DM us on Instagram and let us know what you think. I know so many of you have already done this. I'm telling you, they're the only glove I play now. I just got Tara one. She absolutely loves it. It literally made her want to go play. She doesn't normally want to play that often. Like she's actually quite good, but she just doesn't have the bug like I do. But funny enough, getting the Red Rooster glove makes her want to play. So redroostergolf.com slash train, enter the code train, get 20% off everything. All right, let's get back to the show. That's fascinating. The recognition that he has because he play in every condition, every around the country, around the world, and it's always different. So we were looking at some of his statistics from the year and wanted to kind of get your feedback here because he's always working. I'm working on so many, you know, different things. Sure. Um, he's had, a, he's had a, a, a very good year so far. So we saw driving accuracy to date, 16th, greens and rag, 13th, sand save percentage, 191st. Mm-hmm. And then a couple putting stats, I, you probably guys have seen, According to PGA Tour, from five feet, he's 187, but from four feet, he's ninth. So, but he's still got a scoring average of 69.8, and he's ninth at that. So, sure, sure. wanted to maybe get your thoughts on some of that and, and, and how you guys work on, you know, always improving. Yeah, and it's interesting. We're not big stat guys, day and age of, of data-driven uh, analytics that might be sacrilege, but um, I, I think we utilize it. We certainly look at it. We get to see every single day what his strokes right. gained is and stuff like that. But he's one of the few, one of my students that I trust his feedback more than I, I trust a stat, okay? So we look at things from a week-to-week standpoint that his putting stats may have uh, improved or decreased. And then we look at, okay, why? Now that could be greens. It could be the type of greens. It could be fill in the blank. This is not about excuses. This is about, huh, we're trying to decipher what uh, some of the ingredients that led to this. His putting stats have actually gotten better. Now the last couple of weeks, maybe not so much, but, but overall have gotten better. And so we go in the right direction. He's not happy by far where he wants it to go. 
Um, but we're looking at big picture and then from week to week, day to day. And like you mentioned, a four footer compared to a five footer. That's interesting. I didn't know that, honestly, yeah. what you just said. So is there a, a different dynamic of that? I don't know. I'd have to ask him. And you could dig into it more, right? And to what you're getting at, whether it's Colin or somebody else, I'm a better bent, bent greens putter than right. I am a Bermuda put, you know, greens putter. Correct. Why is that? Right. And yeah, there's or, a correlation or, there. You don't know, you know, totally. Or, or the speed at the open championship, which is always less and lower. He putted fantastic. Maybe he puts better on slower greens, maybe, but he's also putted really, really well at <laughs> some faster ones. So it, it, we do look at those variables because I think what people do is they look at the stat and let's say it's putting, oh, my putting is bad. And then they just immediately go, I got to work on my stroke. I got to work. And I said, I don't know if we just jump to that so quickly. Um, so we're looking at the little things. I mean, bunker play is an interesting one. We don't get lost too much in bunker play because the correlation between a great bunker player and somebody who wins on the tour is very, very minimal. But like last week at the PGA, the sand was so much different than yeah. other ones. So we don't put full credence in, oh, oh, bunker play wasn't that good last week. He's got to get ready for Colonial this week and he's got to get ready for Memorial next week. Um, but to your, your, to your question, we look at stats to look at trends, certainly. And we, um, we look at um, every quarter or so and talking with this caddy, we're looking at what can we, of course, improve. And some of it is not in stats, right? Some of it's commitment to shots. Some of it is, is do we have the right strategy? Is that, hey, if we had this uh, to play over again, would we have done anything different? And that's part of our post-tournament assessment is, is asking some of those questions that don't always pop up in, in the data of, of the stats. That's good. Rick, I think what's so interesting about this, again, our listeners, not Con Morikawa, but one big aha moment I've had recently is it's very rare. And we've talked about this last time. Like you can't change something without awareness of what you want to change. That's one that's mental and physical. So if we're talking physical and stats in certain parts of your game, I've had huge aha moments recently. I'll use putting as an example, Rick. I, uh, I went to an event at Pinehurst. I met a few Cornberry guys. I was practicing with them and I asked him, he's a really good putter. I was like, Hey man, like take a look at me. I never had someone look at me putting. I oh, thought I was shit. going straight back, straight. Back. <laughs> okay. Right. No, I was no not. chance. <laughs> I was going way inside. I kind of had this loop and he's like, well, there's a reason you're taking it way inside. You're really far away from the ball. There's nowhere else for your stroke to go. Right. So then he got me on a putting plate, yes. you know, so I can work on gate and something that I can just groove my stroke, not worry about where the balls, uh, if the ball's going in or not, but just like groove my start line. I put myself on camera. I have my checkpoints. I'm understanding why it goes inside, what my tendency is. And then I have a plan to work on to get better and check myself in. Now, most people don't know what they do. How many years did I go just working on random stuff in my stroke because it was getting good results? Like, it's crazy to me how much time I wasted yeah. versus where I'm headed now. I could have said it better, right? The awareness <laughs> part, like you mentioned, is like you, you, you don't know what you don't know. And then who is going to be somebody who can tell you what you should know? Now, that's a big that big word should. But but yes, having one putting lesson going, oh, wow, when I get that far away, that creates this inner arc. Oh, I just do this eyes over it. And, oh, wow. That fixed that. Oh, that could be the, the shortest <laughs> putting lesson in the world that just now changed you from beating your head against the wall of why you had four, three putts the last round. So that's yep. where, again, good coaching comes into play, but the, the word of awareness is, is crucial. Um, and, and I call it reality check, right? So that's why data is important. That's why stats are important is that I'll have players say, I'll say, let's, let's look at your stats in a way. And if somebody says I'm a great putter and I'm going, but it says you had, you average three, three putts per round. How could it be, but there might be delusional. Then they're not mm -hmm. being honest. Right? right. So it's, I think there's reality check that goes into that. Why, why stats can be important, but like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Okay. You, or you think you're doing something, which you're really not. And that's where good coaching comes into play. And then we start talking about mental side and we ask good questions and we start having people. Now that I think about it, I was never committed over that putt in the first place. I don't like left or right putts in the downhill. It doesn't matter their stroke anyways. 
they're no, they have no chance, right? But that's where I love about the puzzle pieces of performance is, is that let's look at all these puzzle pieces. And I'm not saying mental games more important than this, but I don't think people do enough self-awareness on these different pieces to really know why they're shooting the scores they're shooting. Well, speaking of self-awareness in the round, the biggest takeaway I had from our last conversation, Rick, 10 months ago was comfort. I tell this to people all the time. I've been a guest on podcasts and I've used you as an example of like, hey, Colin focuses, at least based on our last conversation, if you asked him, he could probably hit any shot in the book, but he leans into what he's comfortable with. And I was just curious now that he's won two majors, he's been very public about wanting to become number one player in the world. Do you and Colin talk differently about comfort? Do you lean into it even more? How is that a factor in his round to round tournament to tournament strategy? It's a great question. I don't know if we talk about it more. I just think it's been a constant thread. Um, So if, if we know he plays his best golf doing A and B and C, uh, we want to make sure, did last week, did you do A, B, and C? Now, things change. Um, he, he's getting stronger. He's, his game's going to still evolve. There's um, learning different golf courses. There's still a lot of variables out there, and you never can control all the variables. But back to, I'm very much into state management. What's the state I am in over a shot? And if he's going to use the word comfortable, then we still have to decipher what gets him comfortable. And that could be through a pre-shot routine and talking the shot out with his caddy JJ and, and seeing a shot with clarity and, and then going and double downing on this is the best shot for me right now to feel I'm feeling a hold off cut. He has to honor that, right? We all look at the other side of the coin though, is what would interfere with being comfortable day in and day out. It might change slightly, right? Or he may get on a golf course and say, I'm not quite as comfortable on this tee shot. We have to now have a strategy to get him back to comfortable. Okay. So, um, I would say we don't talk about it more. I think it's just a constant, but we always have something to go back to. So we talk about awareness. We do tend to ask the same type of questions week in and week out because we have that baseline and then, uh, Oh, this is interfering. Uh, Oh, we deviated or wow. We hit everything on that. This is awesome. Um, and I think having a long-term relationships as, as I've had with Colin, we can kind of answer the questions before we even ask it. <laughs> If that makes sense. So, so he's has such good self-awareness skills now that um, he doesn't necessarily need me day in and day out to evaluate his round. He's a pretty good at that. His caddy is fantastic asking good questions. So, um, but not everybody has those uh, skills yet. Right. And, yeah. and so being honest with ourselves and understanding what's happening. And if we go back to if his words comfortable and, and my words engage when I'm engaged on the golf course, man, I play really well. What, what leads to engagement? I got to figure out those ingredients and what would interfere. Everybody's going to be a little different in what word they may use or what emotion they may use. Um, but I would want somebody to know what it, what's in their power to help them get into that state and what potentially could interfere with that. Yeah. Rick, as you know, every player thinks differently and every player responds differently. And, um, and this made me think about uh, JT talk, this past week and his big major win talked about during the practice rounds, he was struggling yep. and he was visibly frustrated. And his dad, his coach said, Hey, let's go to the range. Let's put some alignment sticks down. And he stood behind him and said, low cut, high draw. Right. So player coach, coach, even though he's, he's his dad, but he's his coach. So he's, he's frustrated. Exactly. And this is what we had to do together. Basically just get back to feeling the game, you know, hitting shots, fundamentals, alignment. So while JT and Colin are very different, but when you see Colin maybe visibly frustrated or uncomfortable, what do you guys do? Do you do something similar uh, that maybe JT and his dad are like, really curious because I just thought that was so cool to listen to. I loved that story for many, many reasons, by the way. Um, one of the main reasons was that um, his coach and his dad, I'll just say he's his coach, um, go back to fundamentals and creativity, right? Um, I've seen uh, players, uh, whether it's in college, a little bit on the, on the tour level, where the frustration now leads to, well, we got to get on track, man. We got to get our track man numbers. We got to get this angle. And I think that could go down a rabbit hole that's not so good. 
right? Yeah. So we want to clear it up a little bit more. And it, to me, creativity and um, playfulness and hitting shots can get somebody out of their head in a good way. Uh, and you saw that obviously with JT. The other side of that, which I want to talk about is expectations. JT has a extremely high expectations for himself as he should. He's a great player. My God. Right. Um, and I think maybe that was wearing at him a little bit. And that leads to frustration. Frustration now leads to a learning. It's hard to now move forward when I'm frustrated. Um, and so his, his coach did a great job of saying, Hey, let's hit a shot around this uh, alignment tool. Let's do this. Let's do this. And it got him out of his head. He then starts hitting some quality shots going, I know how to do this. Come on. Right. And so with Colin, it, it's not much different. I mean, we go back to fundamentals. We go back to uh, a lot of pre-shot routine stuff about uh, uh, visualizing shots and creativity. Um, and then if it needs to get more technical from there, fine. I don't start technical first and then go the other way. I go baseline and then we might get a little more technical. Maybe it was a swing thing that, okay, now we're going to do a drill, but I, I'm trying to make it as simple as possible because I already know that that great player is haywire up in their head, whether it's negative, not negative thinking per se, but frustration. Um, and then that can get in the way of just hitting a smooth shot because I'm already tight. So right. we're very similar. And it, it's fascinating. And I mean, having a great team around you is so beneficial for Colin, for JT, because we also heard JT say on Saturday, Bones had to pull me aside and say, stop being so hard on yourself yes. after everybody thought he, you know, he lost the tournament, like couldn't come back. And he's like, that's what I needed to hear. I need to go to the range, blow off steam. But like, I think he said, good things are coming JT. And right. Right. So caddy coach, it's all gotta be. Yeah. Tailored. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally. No. And, and each, and each player has different personality styles and each one has to be communicated to differently. Don't get me wrong. Um, some guys are more rah, rah, and they need somebody as a cheerleader. Other people need to be told directly, Hey, will you stop this crap out? You know, everybody's different, right? But you have to know who your student is and you have to know that. And I think that's something that, uh, very, very fortunate with, with Collins caddy JJ is, he got to know Colin quite quickly. Uh, we talked as a team. Hey, Colin does this. He interprets shots this way. And this is how he likes to be taught. And, and JJ's helped me and say, hey, uh, Colin, I think when we, this happens, we need to do this. And that's, that's good. We're all in it for him. Um, and uh, I feel like I know Colin enough. Um, and, and yet I treat him differently than I would treat somebody else who may have a different personality, who may needs to be you know, in his face more. I don't need to be in Colin's face. Right. Okay. He knows what the heck he needs to do, but there might be a way of how I frame a question or how I come about it that he needs in that moment. Uh, that's different. And that's part of that relationship. Certainly. Well, these are the stories I love, Rick. I mean, you know, you follow us on social media. I love this stuff. Uh, because again, just like I said, at the beginning of the show, people might assume because of the position you're in, what you do for a living, that you were born with this. Some people may watch Justin Thomas win a second major and think that Justin Thomas must have had a perfect week. Justin Thomas didn't even feel comfortable. Justin Thomas needed to be told by his caddy to stop being so hard on himself on Saturday. So I think that is just such a relatable, important reminder for the amateur player because that's what the game of golf teaches us more than anything is it's, doesn't, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be good. But who's going to be the best person at maintaining faith that you can perform and that you can keep, as Tiger always says, plodding along right, and put yourself in position to be there at the end to hit a shot when it matters. And that's what JT did. Colin's done that. And yet we create these like pictures in our mind that yeah. it has to be perfect. It's a classic. It's not a game of perfect, of course, with Rotella, but like it's, it's important to remember that because in the fire, it's important to go through our own negative spirals. And then we think we're having an off day and we let it spiral in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you hit it home and whether it's Scotty Scheffler saying, Hey, I now figured out that I don't need to play perfect golf to win. And, and so we get back to, to these, uh, per perceptions are our reality. And when we can 
talk against some of those that are not serving us, I think that's very, very important. And so the, the 15 handicap out there who does miss a shot and does three putt and stuff like that, you also have to keep that in perspective. It's like, well, I'm a 15 handicapper for crying out loud, right? And, and, and not try more. But should we still want to move on to the next hole and want to hit a good shot? Of course, okay? But that's what I love about golf. I know you guys love about it is the ups and downs is, is part of that journey. It's part of the train that we're on and we're trying to get on the right tracks, aren't we? I mean, and, and, and yet it could get derailed, but can we bring it back? And to me, that's just like life, right? And that's why I use golf metaphors so much um, is that golf and life are the same. But it's so easy because we're on the golf course. We're vulnerable. It's just about us. We get embarrassed. We're, you know, people are watching. We got to deal with it, right? And and that's that's challenging. And then at the highest highest level, their expectations might be different. But I believe there's 15 handicappers who have such high expectations on themselves that they're constantly frustrated. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter the level. We as humans are experiencing these same, like you said, same thoughts and emotions. And we have these tools that we could utilize and strategies to, to, um, to deal with them in a little bit uh, more productive way. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break here from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to the show. Okay. Uh, big news. Actually, breaking news, leather belts on the golf course, they're dead, okay? Leather belts, they get all weird when it gets sweaty and they don't flex. I mean, it's just old school. And, you know, it's 2022. Let's start playing golf in the age that we're in. But the best part about Roosta's belts is that you can make it whatever you want. So it's woven stretch and they've got this awesome, subtle Roosters logo. Now don't get this mixed up with Red Rooster, our glove sponsor. Okay. Roosters with an A is our favorite belt in the game. And we talked about them a couple months ago. They're hopping back on board because so many of you have been loving and buying all of their belts. And so we're excited to have them back on board. But to me, what I love most about the Roosters belts is you can kind of walk the line of what you want. If you want a little flair and spruce up your outfit, wear something different, uh, you can. I've got a black Roosters belt. I think it's the Oahu that has little specks of white. And the reason I like that one the most is because it basically works with any outfit. But I've also got some other fresh color ones, right? With maybe some, some royal blues or abandoned green. So if you want a little flair, they got that. But if you want something more classic, if you want like a khaki or a black or a solid color, even a white, they've got those too. So go to shoproostas.com. That's S-H-O-P-R-O-O-S-T-A-S.com. Enter the code train, get yourself 20% off and free shipping. Okay. That's unheard of. And take your outfit to the next level. I know you guys are buying a ton of rollback. Why don't we take that rowback stretch to your belt game. Okay. I'm telling you guys, I know so many of you've got them. I'm getting a few more colors because I just love them so much. I fully hope you do the same. So shop roostas.com enter the code train 20% off and free shipping. All right, let's get back to the show. Rick, when I hear you talk about Colin, we get a look into his kind of personality through you um, and how he practices. He strikes me as somebody who really enjoys, has a lot of fun, like you said, working on those downhill, you know, long yeah. iron shots or whether it's, you know, let's go on Kikuya or let's just, you know, it's going to take a lot of work, but he really enjoys that. And he finds fun in practice. And I think it's so easy for golfers of all levels, just to not have fun practicing, right? Half, you know, have to do it. Always right. working on technical skills. Like talk about that. I think it's that approach, even if you only have an hour on a Saturday, right? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I look at it from a, from a learning perspective also is when we learn something, it's also the state we're in. Uh, learning is very state dependent. Uh, mm. I have three kids. They're, they're all from different ages of just graduating from college to being in college to high school. And, and I ask them what, um, what subjects they like, you know, what's your favorite? Oh, I love this. My, my, my son, digital media. I love this. I like that. And then I said, how do you like your English? Oh boy. <laughs> and so the attitude is going to affect how your learning is, right? Yet I think in golf, it's interesting. A lot of people get 
in this idea that it has to be block practice. It has to be my, my numbers on track, man, need to look good. I just saw this beautiful golf swing on Instagram. It has to look this way. And we get stuck in that instead of, and I'm not saying inherently there's anything wrong with wanting to improve those things, but I think people get bogged down into the rote of, okay, I got to do these things. What I find, whether it's with Colin or even JT to a point where they're talking about creativity and hitting different golf shots, I think that keeps their interests going. And, and I think um, at an early age, and I've said this many times on, on our podcast before, is that most of my lessons with Colin were done on a golf course. And so now he's looking at learning as something that's about playing. It's actually being in the environment. It's not on a range and say, I want you to hit another seven iron and I want your P3 position to be here. And I think he appreciated that. It, it worked real well for his personality. And that's kept him with it is if he wants to learn a new short game shot, he's, he's going to get creative. He's going to throw himself in some different spots. And it's not just judgmental. Did I get it in 20 minutes? It's just, like I said, this learning of, I want to get better at something. And as you mentioned, I think he really enjoys the challenge of it. And I think if we can make it fun, if we can make it game related, we can compete. I think we add those different um, learning uh, personalities to it. And right. I think, you know, like I don't, pra- like I told you, I don't practice much anymore, but when right. I do, it might be 20 minutes and me hitting a, a nine ball drill of, of different grids or me playing a game of horse with one of my students or yesterday I was teaching and I'm just competing against them. Okay. Close as a whole, man, I get jacked up and I get ready. Um, I, I want people to look at that. Why are they going to that range? Why are they going to that putting green and be childlike, be playful. And you'll find that you're actually going to get better quicker. Well, yeah, I used to fall in the trap of turning to my coach as a kid. Hey, how does it, how does my backswing look? When he, and he'd be like, and he would get annoyed of me asking that. Like, he'd be like, <laughs> he's like, well, what kind of shot are you trying to hit? What are you trying to yes. do? The and intention. Because, right. Cause it's, you know, you know, you know, hitting it high and hitting it far. That doesn't count. Right. Are you trying to hit it low? Are you trying to work it in there? Because I know you can do it, Matt. So why don't you just do it? And I don't care about the backswing and it's, it's a, it's a switch and, yeah. but it's hard because <laughs> we get so caught up in. Right. And, but I think we, we, we've tied in that the cause and effect of that great golf shot is only because my P3 position was here and my P6 position was here and my trackman numbers is here. I understand cause and effect, everybody. I understand the club makes the ball go where it goes. But what I'm saying is that the attitude behind it, the personality behind it, the, the mindset behind it may have made the P6 position get to where it needed to get to yeah. through creativity, through visualization, through letting go, through detachment, through, you know, and yet that's hard. And I know, and that's as a mental game coach, that's hard to sometimes convey with people because they're stuck in A plus B equals C all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, I want to dig in more to learning is state dependent because we've never talked about that. And I think a big role of our show for our listeners, which is such a thrill for us that we've, we're having this impact and we get the messages. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Managing your state is everything because a lot of times I think what people, and I've experienced this, And sometimes to a fault because I do coach and I have the skills that sometimes I can spiral because if I can't reverse my state, it makes me feel even worse because I identify with being able to manage my state. So uh, (laughs) how can someone, because I think the most common thing is people go internal. They think about all the time, effort, money they put into this game. They're embarrassed. They're feeling shame. What is something that you've used that can help manage someone's state? Not necessarily go from shame and embarrassment to joy and, you know, freedom, but how can they feel less shame? What do you think is the most valuable way to manage your state? Ooh, uh, wow. I know it's a loaded so, question. So, but. so we have, we have another, another three hours on this yeah. thing, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can come on back. Yeah. yeah it's, it's an interesting, because I look at it both pre and we're use golf now as the example, right? I'm looking at pre and post of a routine of, of a shot, right? The shot is this moment in time of this ball going somewhere, right? That's the outcome. Um, most people are going to be extremely critical 
uh, judgmental of that outcome. Okay. So the first thing is I actually work in reverse. I actually work with people's post-shot routines first before I work on pre-shot routine, because I know that previous shot is going to have some residue for the next shot. So I want people to uh, understand of how are you viewing that outcome? So I'm very much into uh, association and, and learning, right? So I would rather be curious and learn from why that ball went where it went than critical and judgmental, okay? Now, again, this is a guy who used to be a hothead and frustration where that ball going 40 yards into the trees to the left in that moment meant you're not very good at this game, Rick. How do you da 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 right? And go down the, mm -hmm. the, that. Now... Because I have been exposed to the best players in the world, and even before that, going, those great players do hit the ball 40 yards in the trees, yet, wow, look at how they've taken that. They've taken on that as a challenge, like, let's go. All right, I'm going to still back to the old Seve Balaceros day. They said, aren't you concerned when you're hitting it into other right rough, left rough? He goes, when I make a birdie, I can't wait to look at the, the, my competitor's face, right? So he utilizes the same exact results in a much different way. And that's where our associations and stuff of state, how am I going to view this? Most people do take it as a threat to their identity and who they are and all that stuff. And I'm saying it's like, okay, but could I look at that as now a challenge? Could I look at that as, man, I could still get up and down. I said, that's a shift of mindset. So post-shot routine is extremely important. Pre-shot routine, it's an interesting one. I was working with a client yesterday who was getting scared before a shot, right? We've all been scared. We've all had fear, right? Yep. And Yet we were trying to shift it of what could we pay attention to? What could we focus on? How could we look at it different, right? And again, it goes wrapped to, yeah, but Rick, if I don't do it, then I'm going to feel bad on myself. I said, it hasn't even happened yet. Holy smokes, <laughs> you know? And I'm saying, how could we look at it differently, right? So I look at it from a playful standpoint, or I can look at it as a challenge standpoint, or um, so back to state dependent is a lot to do with mindset. What are my beliefs, my values, my perceptions that I'm going to bring to this moment, is that, a, is that resourceful or not? I rarely use the word positive or negative, but resourceful or unresourceful. And you'll find that certain around a, a round of golf, for instance, I used to get more hot-headed on a missed putt than I did a missed drive. Okay. So it's situational specific. So I'm asking all those listeners out there, what are those triggers that do get you going haywire one way? And go back to it. And is, be, is it because of expectations? Is it because, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed, right? And all the things you guys have talked about. And that's what I love about uh, the PAR train is you're shifting people's perspectives. They can look at things differently. Like when you went on all your trips and you're getting to play in all these great places, you have a new um, appreciation for golf, right? You have a new appreciation for what's going on. Or we can have a funny meme or something like that and go, maybe I should look at it that way a little bit more than how I am. So that's what I love about uh, what you guys are doing. And I want to help people know that there's options. You can perceive things many, many different ways. After a poor shot, I ask people, what's another way you could have looked at that? What's another way? And I'm not saying positive. I just say another way. Yeah. I could throw a club. I can yell. I could laugh. I could smile. I could be neutral. I could be great. I want to give people options. Because people are so stuck in their habits of that's how I just react. That's who I am. It's like, oh boy. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but state is mental, emotional, physical. It all starts with how I perceive a situation. So we have to give people new perspectives on that. Give those options to those, you know, post-shot feelings or thoughts. And it may take a while, right? To kind of figure out what this player, it, the healthiest way to maybe react. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and I just, just to kind of go back on that post-shot routine is like, now I hit that shot in there. I'm a cure. I will go into curiosity. I do want to know why it went left. I'm not one who is a coach who say, forget about it. I don't think, I don't think that's, I think that's challenging. Okay. So, but if I want to know why that went left and I'm curious to me, that's much better than judgmental as you suck, you're horrible. And I may, then I always ask in post-shot routines, was it a mental error? Was it a physical error? Was I fully committed? Was I, did I bring engagement to it? Right. Did I bring joy to it or not? Um, and if I did not, then that to me would be a mental error or a, something I could work on. But sometimes I'm fully engaged. I'm visualizing. I got everything. And I still hit a shot 40 yards left. Ah, dang. And I came, yeah. under, plan, I came <laughs> under plan again. I flipped my hands over. I hit the hook. That happens. I'm not a robot. And now I can 
process it, move forward. I didn't say I'm happy. This is not about put a smile on my face because I hid it in somebody's backyard. It's I need to process that away so I can move on. And that's where I think the learning and we can call it growth mindset or whatever, is that I'm, I'm using that as an opportunity to get better and to learn instead of just being critical. Love it. One thing, this will probably be my last question for you before I want to give time to talk about flow code, because there's been a lot of progress there um, and our listeners could benefit from it greatly. But I would be remiss if I didn't get this in before we get to that. We haven't talked Ryder Cup and I actually think <laughs> team play is so oh, interesting from a mental standpoint, because for example, Serm's got a member guest coming up, very different type of player his partner is. Same with me, right? We've got some similarities, we've got some differences. My partner wants to know exactly where we're at. I don't feel like I need to know what holes I get pops on, right? My buddy Ryan wants to say, let's go win this thing. Let's go make a birdie where I'm focused more on behaviors and process-driven stuff. So Collins played with, I think it was Victor, right? In the, um, on the DJ tour, the yep. Zurich. And then obviously DJ had amazing success with DJ. How do you guys t- just talk to me about the big takeaways you and Colin and the conversations you guys have had, the learnings you've had from team play. I think it's so interesting and yeah. whether it's a scramble or a member guest, people can really relate to this. Yeah. So, so you bring up a, a, a few things in there. One, there are going to be different personality styles. Okay. Now, uh, I have more respect and I already had a ton of respect for Dustin Johnson going into the Ryder Cup, but being able to be in practice rounds with him and Claude Harmon and getting to know, I'm, I'm like blown away. I mean, this guy is chill. The guy is fully focused. The, the guy is next level. Right. And so now that's awesome that Colin gets to be paired with somebody who has experience, who's somebody who is in that demeanor, because they're very similar demeanors, right? So there's no big dramatic change. He's very easy for him to forget about things. I, I, my favorite story of that was they were playing, and I think it was Paul Casey and Victor were paired together. And Casey makes a fairway bunker shot, and this is the Ryder Cup, makes it from whatever, 130 yards away. And it was like simple thing from DJ to Colin saying, ah, that was a good shot. Instead of, oh crap, we're now, instead of two up or one up and oh my, it's like, yeah. And it's just, and then when you, when that comes across, you're going, oh, okay, well, it's not bothering him. Okay, let's move on. So I think that's something that, um, you know, uh, Dustin Johnson's is fantastic at. Now you go Victor Hovland. And, and Colin and, and, and Victor have known each other, obviously, for a few years. Um, they really get along real well. And, and there was a certain lightness about it. They were having fun, right? There was this, you have your walk-up music. You have a, it's a different vibe. And I asked Colin a little bit about it. I said, were you still able to be fully engaged on the shot, even though in between shots, it seemed a little bit more playful? And he said, yeah, I was fine. So he was able to flip the switch. Uh, and I don't think everybody can. I think if we get too, you know, I'm into this, right? It's harder to flip a switch now when we get into the shot. And then what you maybe experience is the opposite, where you, somebody takes it so seriously that they're not going to want to talk about anything. You know, let's not talk about anything else. This is we're here for a reason. It's like, holy smokes, right? So you almost have to talk to your partner beforehand and say, hey, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal if I hit a poor shot or something like that? Um, I always tell people is like, apologize before you get to the first round. Hey, I'm going to hit some crappy shots. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm letting you know that now, but not to feel like every single shot. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I put you in that position. It's like, get that over with ahead of time. Right. The classic rule. We're not saying sorry today on the course guys. Totally. Like, what we get yeah. If we do one thing, well, we don't say sorry. So, but it but, is being clear, like back to like, Evan, like you said, is like, I'm out there. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through my processes out there. I well, yes, I want to win. I want to, but this is what, how I'm going to do it. And if you start that as the intention going ahead with your team, I think it makes it a, a little bit easier, but, um, you know, we, we want to enjoy ourselves. I think team events are awesome. Uh, but you're right. You bring a lot of dynamics to the table, don't you? Yeah. Well, it kind of goes along with a quote that you've said, which I love. And I think a lot of people can take with them is, what if we rated ourselves based on how we behave versus what we achieve? And, uh, you know, I think that could be a great team goal, right? Regardless yeah, right. Of, of what it is. And um, 
I want to give you a chance to talk about flow code. We talked about it a, a while ago when you were in the building stages of it. Yeah. And I think it's so cool because look, let's be honest, you don't have the time to go and help thousands of amateur players, right? You really focus in Colin and other things, but you create a platform where people online can join the flow code Academy right. and learn to get in the flow. So I know you got to go in a minute, but I want to give you a chance to talk about that. No, I, the flow. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's something I've been working on for a few years and it's come to fruition and really proud of it. I have a great team behind me. Um, and we, we changed the domain domain slightly. So it's flowcode.golf, flowcode.golf. And that'll take you to the page. Uh, we have business to consumer thing where people can be a member and, and get access to all these videos. We also have a coaching certification that we have a lot of uh, coaches that are going through that to help them become more mental game coach based and stuff. So yeah, very, very excited about it. Uh, a lot of videos, a lot of audios, a lot of worksheets, a lot of things that are with that. So flowcode.golf is, is what we're doing. And, and we're, we're really proud of, of where it's going. And, and like you said, we're trying to, all of us here are trying to have an outreach there to make a positive impact on golfers. And uh, this is just my vehicle to be able to do that. I love it. Well, I've seen it. There's a ton, a ton of amazing yeah. content and lessons on there. So flowcode.golf also the flow code uh, or flow golf podcast. Yes. So the flow, um, yes. Flow as well golf as podcast. Rick Sessinghouse on Instagram. I want to rush you out, but I want to be respectful of the two minutes early. Yeah. So Rick, <laughs> appreciate it. Thank Always you so a pleasure. Much. Thank yeah. you for thank hopping you guys. aboard again. We'd love to have you back anytime. And um, good luck the rest of the year. We're all, as always, appreciate we're going to cheer you on. Thank you so much, guys. See you, Rick.